welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Welcome back to another installment of A Congruent Life. This is Episode 7. I'm Andy Gray. Thank you for joining us today. A Congruent Life is about sharing the stories of people who are living authentically, whatever that might mean to them. Today I'm talking with Dan Andrews. Dan is the co-host of the very popular Lifestyle Business Podcast. He managed to get off the typical entry-level career track and reinvented his life as a location-independent entrepreneur living mostly in Southeast Asia. I'm talking today with Dan Andrews, who's the co-host of the Lifestyle Business Podcast and one of the creative forces behind Dynamite Circle and Tropical MBA. Dan, welcome to A Congruent Life. It's great to be here, Andy. So Dan, in your own words, what is it that you really do? <laughs> what would you say you do here? Yeah, you know, it depends who's asking. If it's an immigration fish official, uh, what I do is I own a company that throws events. I found that by telling the immigration officials actually what I do, it would be like a straight shot to secondary. Um, but for people on this show who might have a bit more of an entrepreneurial lean, uh, I own an e-commerce company that develops its own products. And uh, that was a company that I started after having read uh, The 4-Hour Workweek, which is a book that when our community have read that inspired me, uh, you know, to to build a business so that I could travel around the world, basically. And uh, that's that was sort of something that was that I had my eyes on for a long time and didn't think was possible. So uh, hopefully we can get to that in a bit. But uh, since that time, I've started sharing the journey with people uh, through the blogosphere, and um, that's what's manifested this whole new side of our business, which is kind of a uh, I don't even know what to call it, sort of like a networking group where we share stories and we help each other grow businesses um, because it's not that mainstream of a thing. It's a little bit, what we're saying, it's a little bit punk rock still. It's still on the fringes. And uh, even earlier, you know, we know each other. So before we got on the podcast, we were talking about the software company that I'm starting and with some friends. And, and one of my main motivations for starting that company is that I want to tell the story of it. And, uh, you know, I want to continue to lead by example in that community. I don't want to be just a guy who sits back and, you know, throws meetups. I want to be somebody who can at least lead by, have some small example to say, hey, I'm doing what you're doing too. I'm growing companies. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of, that's a long answer to a short question. <laughs> so when I describe these three pieces, you know, lifestyle business podcast, people kind of get what that is. I talk about Dynamite Circle and say, oh, it's this online community of entrepreneurs and people kind of get that. When I say tropical MBA, people are like, huh, what does that mean? So how do you describe tropical MBA? Well, generally what I say is it's my personal blog. Tropical MBA has already sort of been the my outlet. It's been a way that I've been able to funnel my creativity in a, in a way that's useful to other people. Um, you know, before tropical MBA, I might have had like a blog spot blog or a few other little um, personal blogs. And then Tropical MBA is really the first time where I said, sort of like what you're doing with this podcast, I said, you know what, I have a lot of creative impulses, but I'm going to focus them and do consistent creative work that might be useful to other people. 
So at the beginning, I use it as a hiring funnel. Oddly enough, I thought, you know, this is such a cool lifestyle. Uh, I bet other people would want to come work for me and that they'd be willing to work for a lot less because we're traveling and we're living in exciting places. So, you know, it's a win-win situation. Um, and out of that situation, we spawned probably 20 internships since that time. Um, and now the, the blog's become a little bit broader. It's now, you know, here are some interesting things we're doing in our business, or here's some travel tips, or here's a podcast here and there. And uh, we sort of, I like that idea that um, Hugh McLew put forward. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he basically said blogs are like tools, or they're like they're like hammers. You sort of, you use them to sort of build out ideas. And that's really what the Tropical MBA has been. It's been like a Petri dish for our entrepreneurial ideas over the last four years. And I think that's part of the reason it's sort of difficult to explain. Because really the Dynamite Circle came from it, a bunch of podcasts, a bunch of business partnerships, a bunch of fun events, all kinds of crazy stuff have come from just that one little blog with a uh, cryptic name. So can you tell us a little bit about how maybe you got started personally? Did, did you always want to be an entrepreneur? No, I, uh, I very much thought that business people were ignoble in some fundamental way. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it wasn't cool. Like, you know, why would you be a business person when you could study history or when you could be a rock star or something like that? Um, and it, it wasn't until I was in college that I started to look around at like the actual historians and the actual quote rock stars and sort of like got a chance to meet them and see what their lives look like. And I was like, man, that doesn't look so hot. You know, they don't have a lot of options. And a lot of what attracted me to stuff like being a professor, being a rock star, all these kind of vague notions was the freedom that I sort of implicitly attached with those ideas. I thought, you know, if you're a professor, you're really free, you know, because you get to wake up every morning and read books and write things and hang out with people and talk about ideas. That's way better than what I see everybody here in central Pennsylvania doing, which is waking up and going to a job that, you know, they've they have to go to. And that does not change very much. And that just seemed like a horrible fate to me. Um, so as I continued to like sort of meet real people, so to speak, uh, it did seem to me like the business people were the ones getting the best outcomes. And now in retrospect, I sort of look back at it and I think, you know what, I always was a bit of an entrepreneur in the sense that I was always starting stuff or having ideas or, hey, let's start a band or, hey, let's throw a party or, hey, let's do this. Um, but I never really sort of, uh, I always thought that money sort of tarnished it. You know, once you turn turn into a business person, it's not cool anymore. And in some ways, I guess I still believe that. There's still a part of me that feels that way. But, um, but uh, yeah, so that's a long way of saying uh, it didn't come naturally to me. But I got sold on the benefits and the outcomes that people who had really committed to it were getting. And I met enough cool people and I was like, you know what, I think you can – you can do this with authenticity, so to speak. You can do this and be a good person. Um, being a business person isn't all about ripping off poor people or being greedy or all that. It's, it's quite, quite the opposite, actually. So how did that translate into a career path for you? You went to college, then you went and you got a, a job in a company, right? Kind of the traditional American path? Yeah, I got an entry-level job at K2. Um, so my, my university degree was in philosophy, which is something I was truly passionate about. And then I moved to California and, you know, got a job not on the strength of my college degree, but on the strength of warehouse work that I had been doing over the summers. So K2, the, the international sporting goods company said, hey, it looks like you've been managing shipping at a warehouse during the summers. 
that qualifies you to be an office lackey in our logistics department. So that's what got me the job, not my expensive philosophy degree. Um, and yeah, and I started working for K2 and it was absolutely awful. I actually remember I was recalling a story the other day where one of my managers sat me down and told me not to be so weird. It's just like, I mean, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty kind of come to Jesus year, like working with people who I had nothing in common with. Like, I remember just walking around the office and thinking like, is this what real life is? You know, like these people, they don't seem to care about this very much at all. And they're all here every day. And, uh, it was very, very difficult year. And, um, and I was constantly trying to break, break my job, you know, trying to do something new or trying to hang out with the CEO or all this kind of stuff. And, uh, it just wasn't going to work out for me in corporate America. So that's when I decided, or that's not one of my friends. This is kind of a interesting background story. One of my friends slipped my resume to an entrepreneur and said, uh, you know, I think you guys would make a good mix. And that's how I got out of that job is I got a job with an entrepreneur. And that's really the, the, that was the first domino that fell on getting on the right path in terms of entrepreneurship. Was that a conscious choice that you made? So it's like, hey, Dan, don't be so weird. So are you thinking, hey, I need to not be so weird? Or are you thinking, I got to get out of here and do something different that's going to work for me better? Um, I don't think the latter. I think at the time I was confused and like the power system was very real, you know, like I didn't have any money. I didn't like the system of success or like how people have freedom and, and wealth and things were very opaque to me at the time, you know, when I was 23, 24, 25, I had no idea like how I remember walking through those neighborhoods in Southern California, like looking at those homes thinking like, how do people buy these things? Like, how does that happen? I'm, I have a college education. I work every day for 10 hours and I have nothing to show for it at the end of it, you know? And, uh, it's not like I'm living a lavish lifestyle. It just seemed like, man, at that time, I just remember thinking, like, life is tough. It's really tough to to make a living. And, uh, of course, entrepreneurs aren't focused on making a living, which is the punchline. Like, I didn't – so when I was focused on making a living, in other words, I wasn't doing too good of a job at it. And it wasn't until hanging out with entrepreneurs, which was a lucky, fortunate fall. But also, I think there's something in, in me, in my spirit, that attracted small business entrepreneurs. It just, there wasn't places like dynamite circle where, you know, people are just sort of sitting around, um, you know, meeting each other. I was in Southern California where everybody was trying to, you know, manage to get a down payment on their, their house. And so it was just a, such a different vibe. Um, I just got lucky meeting somebody that, that was dedicated to small business. So that first domino fell and did you jump into that with, eyes wide open. It's like, yeah, let's go do this. Absolutely. Um, one of the things is, you know, like I, I always worked since I was 12, you know, and, um, a variety of jobs and I never had a problem making big decisions about those businesses. And I never really thought that that would be useful. In fact, at my job at K2, it wasn't useful. It was annoying. It caused problems. You know, people thought I was stepping on toes or, you know, I love your plan, Dan, but if I approve it, your manager is going to be upset. So let's just forget about it, that kind of thing. But when I got into this small business, I was like, hey, why are we even using that factor? Why don't we do this? Or why don't we, you know, just get rid of that product line? And this is the first time in my life where my boss was kind of like, well, that's an interesting idea. Okay, let's go with it. And I was like, really? Okay. 
you know, and kind of like got up from the desk in a bit of a daze and I would go do it. And uh, that business turned out to, to be quite successful. We went from two to six million dollars in a few short years in no small part due to the real estate expansion happening in the U.S. at the time. And we, had, we were in a related industry. Um, but that was really the moment, you know, when I started just gorging myself on business books and self-help books. And, you know, right before that job, I was kind of like looking at all these like freedom paths, you know, or freedom models. Like I was looking at short-term investing. I was looking at real estate investing. I was looking at uh, poker playing. And that was the moment when I really saw the ticket, like meeting guys like my mentor at this job, uh, you know, seeing the fact that he drives an old car and wears old shoes and doesn't care about how good his office looks. All he cares about is how well he's serving his customers and how good his company is. And it's creating wealth for him and and for the marketplace. And it just kind of really clicked for me. I was like, this is it. Like this, this is really is something. So this experience sort of kindled this entrepreneurial spark that was probably within you from the beginning and, and you started seeing that there was potential here. So how did you get from there to going off and starting your own businesses? I think the biggest thing is it was a very long, slow haul. I mean, it happened over the course of three years, but three years feels like a long time when you're working, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks. The short answer is, is that I really gave everything I had to that project. I wanted to be the best employee. I ended up being vice president of the company. Um, I gave everything I had to that and making that a success and learned a ton by doing that because, you know, and this is what I talk about a lot in, on my podcast is the importance of becoming an apprentice and of choosing the right guides and investing a lot into those relationships. And for me, I can think of a handful of people of people who are further along than me that spent a lot of time with me and nurtured me. And in return, I worked very hard for them. And uh, those experiences were really invaluable in me figuring out like what the next steps were going to be. So by the time that sort of my arc was finishing up with that company, I had a lot of options on the table because I had all the skill sets in place, you know, enough in place. I had the confidence, I had the connections. um, And so it wasn't, super hard to get started with my own thing at that time. And in fact, what I ended up doing was taking an investment from that mentor. Um, so I pitched him on a concept for a new type of business that would leverage my skills uniquely, which would earn me an equity position. And uh, that's that's what, how, how it started. And then somewhere along that arc, you started feeling like that that you could actually be more effective to the company if you weren't in Southern California and you started putting your sights overseas. How did, how did you start getting that kind of vision? Well, it's actually more cynical than that um, because at the time it was like so hard running a business with two partners and it was such a cash constrained environment. I thought, you know what, if, if I'm going to be sacrificing so much to be a part of this partnership, I want it to be good for me. Like I want it to make sense for me. And, and what I really want is to be an expat. I really want to travel. And so I'm going to find a way to bake that into this recipe. And, you know, there's obviously there's a bunch of advantages to being based out of Asia, in particular for a manufacturing company. And so I used all of those justifications to sort of line up with what I wanted, which was to go see what another country feels like and to be traveling for weeks at a time, which is something that I never, ever had and I always wanted. Um, and by the way, I've never tired of it. I've never sickened of, of the idea like it wasn't just a youthful fantasy um, sort of built on a few 
uh, trips taken when I was a younger person. It really, for me, it ended up being sort of a lifelong, so far, I mean, I'm only 32, but it's been a lifelong passion for adventure and seeing, being in new places. And it's very exciting to me. So that's really what I wanted to get started with. And I just figured, you know, what's the point of doing a business if it doesn't give you the kind of lifestyle that you want to have? So in other words, if you're going to be working for the next five to 10 years on this very important project, do it on terms that are agreeable to you. And that's not, um, you know, that can easily allow people to rationalize maybe some overly luxurious choices. So that's not what I'm trying to do with it. What I'm trying to say is that there's so many ways you can be involved in business. There's so many ways you can create value in the world. There's so many options. So set, do you know, execute your business on terms that are agreeable to you because you're, you're in it for the long haul if it's going to be successful. So my attitude at the time was if, you know, I'm not going to work at something for five years that's not going to allow me to live anywhere I want. I just won't do it given that there's options to do otherwise. And that's the reason that instead of sitting in Southern California um, and making phone calls for a year to try to get customers, so that would be do one thing in order to do another or the deferred life plan. The Monk and the Riddle, by the way, is a great book for people, you know, trying to answer the big questions in life vis-a-vis entrepreneurship. And the, the key concept in there is the deferred life plan. You know, if you don't want to be, you know, if you don't want the attunement of sitting in an office in Southern California making cold calls all day long, then don't start, you know, don't make that a fundamental part of what you need to do for the business. So right out of the gate, I hired somebody to do that kind of thing and I took off because I figured if it's going to work, it needs to work on these terms. And if it doesn't work on these terms, that's okay because there's a lot of other opportunities. And by the way, that's also part of the reason I started these side businesses, in particular this business called uh, Outsource to the Philippines. I thought, you know, hey, while I'm here in the Philippines, I'm going to start telling people about that. And that could have been a business as well if the core business did not work out. The punchline is, um, while we were struggling through all this and, you know, it just felt like everything was taking forever, we were growing quite a good business and it was happening underneath our feet, even though we lacked the patience to really see that it was, everything was working out pretty well. The cool thing about that story, I think, is that it wasn't an either-or proposition, that you found a way along the way to make it a win-win. You you legitimately said, this is what I want to do with my life, and you set out in a way to make that happen. And at the same time, you said, our business will actually be more successful in this way. It wasn't a case of you taking advantage of the business to finance a fanciful lifestyle. I think I think you nailed it, and, and that's really always what it is about. It's about positioning the kinds of things, like for example, I like to do podcasts and I like to create blog posts. Now, we all know people who do those things for their own aims. You know, it, it would, in some ways, it would be a little bit easier for me to do a podcast where I would just, I would have no attempt to be useful. I would just talk about, I would make jokes with Ian. You know, we'd crack a beer and we'd joke about something for 30 minutes. Um, but the work I'm doing right now, I'm like sweating. I'm trying to, I'm trying to put something forward that might be useful to somebody. Uh, I think that's a, a way, that's that win-win proposition. Like, how can you meet what you're passionate about, the kinds of work that you want to do on a daily basis? How can that be useful to other people? And I think that, you know, how can my love of living in Southeast Asia actually be useful to people? And that's entrepreneurship. And, uh, you know, I, I still have friends that never got hip to the entrepreneurship thing because, unfortunately, they think it's all about money. Oh, Dan, you... 
I, I don't know how you sleep at night. You know, uh, you're going after money every day. And these people wake up every morning and they think about these complex ways to solve their own problems. But entrepreneurs wake up in the morning and they think about how can I solve other people's problems. And um, it's been a cool strategy. So the mission of this A Congruent Life project is to share stories of authenticity. What does living authentically or congruently mean to you? For me, the first word that jumps into my head is integrity. And uh, one of the things the internet seems to do is it it gamifies things um, pretty easily. You know, we talk about like lead generation and funnels and opt-ins and all this kind of stuff. And, and one of my projects this year, and it's something I've been fascinated about since day one with the internet, is the fact that all these quote opt-ins, they're real people that have like real opinions about who you are and what's going on. And I never really felt like people took that at, you know, the industry at least that I was involved in online, in particular internet marketing and entrepreneurship coaching, never really took that that seriously. Like authenticity and authenticity was a strategy. You know, I'm thinking like, no, that's you missing it when you do that. That's the point. <laughs> and, uh, and to me, that's been always something that I just care deeply about is being real. And again, it's that, um, it's that it's that boss sitting me down in the office and saying, you know, stop being so weird. It's I, I one time got an email from um, from one of my mentors and he said, you know, I saw your email about how you wanted to only work with people that you really enjoyed and that you only want to work on ownership projects and you want to do this. And he's like, basically, like, you know, you can't you can't expect to to have all those things in your life. You know, you got to suck it up. In other words, and you know, the kind of punchline of that for me was you could decide to have a change of heart or a change of venue. And one of the cool things about the internet and the world today is that if you're not around people that, that share your values or you feel like you can't act with integrity wherever you are, you can move. You can go somewhere. You can find some people that do share your values. And that's that's part of the reason that we started Dynamite Circle and part of the reason that we got rid of that guy, you know, is that, you know, I don't it's not worth that kind of compromise to me. It's not worth a lifetime of dealing with miserable middle managers and, and buyers at large corporations in order to make a few bucks. It's just not worth it. And uh, that to me is, is being congruent, is not having to play out yourself, is to ask yourself, what is the things that I'm most deeply interested in and how could those things be useful to other people? And I think that when you can find that intersection, which I know is, is, is a delicate balance, if you can find it, um, you know, you've got there's explosive opportunity when you can be your most authentic self and give value to others at the same time. You started kind of touching on this, but do do people ever tell you that the lifestyle that you're living is selfish or irresponsible? And if so, how do you respond to that? No, people don't tell me that. But I don't think people tell me that people <laughs> people shield me from from the I must come across as the fragile ego ego type. Um, so yeah, I'm not really, uh, I think the biggest thing in that vein that I hear is, you know, that's great for you because you're young and you're single and all this stuff, but you know, it's not great for me because I got this career sunk cost or I got a family or I got a mortgage and you know, I just can't, um, risk it all on starting a business and all that kind of stuff. And, and my response is, is, um, it's just to continue to try to be useful to that person. You know, it sounds to me like those sorts of people are qualifying themselves out 
for whatever for their own reasons and uh that's always been something that i'm okay with like i'm not trying to proselytize i don't care to change their minds about that because i have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder about it andy like when i heard that you could make money from anywhere on the planet and like be a long-term expatriate and uh and just crack a laptop at a coffee shop for the rest of your life and make like i was like that is priority numero uno like that is what i'm into um and so for people who are like i'm kind of into home ownership and i'm kind of into jets games and i'm kind of into this and it's like fine go for that i'm into i'm into the live anywhere you want on the planet thing because that to me is something that i'm super incredibly passionate about so i want to hang out with other people who feel the same way i don't want to try to convince people you know because like hey if you don't think my band is the best band you know like it's like if you if you you know, you really love something, you're really attracted to something, you want to hang around with people who feel the same way. So I, I would imagine that one of the challenges of living that lifestyle, this live anywhere on the planet kind of kind of mode, how do you stay connected with the people that are important to you? Well, actually, I think it makes it easier. Um, you know, at the beginning, when you're cash tight, it, it, you know, you sometimes make this there's this duality between home on the one hand and adventure on the other. They're kind of these mutually exclusive categories. But when you have more wealth, you can kind of cover both bases. You can both have a home, maintain a home, maintain those kinds of relationships and go on adventures. Um, so that's sort of been the case for me. You know, um, I identify those people that are important to me. Like a lot of people in Ho Chi Minh City right now, for example, are doing really fascinating things and I want to have a deeper relationship with them. I don't just want to chat with them on the forum. I want to be with them and, and go to coffee with them. And that's part of the reason I'm here. And then when it comes to things like family and, and older friends, you know, I regularly, like in a few weeks, I'm getting on an airplane to spend weeks hanging out with family and friends back in New York City. So um, in that sense, I think it's made it a little bit easier to have those types of connections. I think one of the interesting pieces of your story as well is that somewhere along the way, you decided to start a podcast. Um, I started listening to Lifestyle Business Podcast at like episode five or six or something ridiculous like that. But where did that come from? Where where did that impulse to podcast it and share your voice with the internet come from? Well, two things. One is that I'm the ultimate podcast fan-omaniac. I love podcasts. I absolutely love it. Like I'm ecstatic that you're starting your own. I think you know, it's just, it's this amazing opportunity to have your voice out there. There's a, there's a few people that really inspired me, you know, like Howard Stern in particular is somebody that I used to skip school and like listen to Howard Stern for hours and hours on end. And he like represented this world that was exciting to me. I used to imagine like, here's this guy, he's in New York city and he's meeting all these famous people and he's just a normal guy, you know? And that was like a really interesting narrative for me, especially when I didn't feel like I had a lot of power in my life. And then when iTunes came out, I started listening to all these guys who were like, you know, my name's X and like I started a business and like here's how much money I make and here's what I do and here's how I do it. And I thought, whoa, that's incredible. You know, now this is like Howard Stern times 100 because now all of a sudden you're hearing from like these really particular instances of success. And it's a lot easier to relate to that, in fact, because, you know, to do what Howard Stern did, I mean, good luck with that. But to do what you know, some random dude in New York that runs an SEO firm, now all of a sudden I can start to visualize that. And and then one day, you know, someone knocked on me through the audio, so maybe I can knock on some of your listeners right now and say, you know, Andy and myself are no different from you guys except we just have the microphones turned on. And 
that kind of occurred to me. I thought, you know what? I don't just want to be a consumer. I want to be involved in this in some way. So I'm going to share my story too. And uh, I did have a little bit of a conception. I was listening to entrepreneurship podcasts like Internet Business Mastery. And there was a lot of other ones like that at the time. Most of them have faded away. And uh, I thought, you know what? These guys are doing something amazing. They've changed my life. Maybe I could do that, but I have a different story. I have a different approach. And so I'm going to make sure that I make those things clear. So my first podcast was about how to develop a hard goods product. So it's like coming out very clearly and saying, I'm somebody who develops products. Here's how that could help you build a business, which is something that I had done over the last two years. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much it. Like it just the hammer fell at some point and said, you're just a microphone away, man. And ever since then, I've been obsessed with it. You know, like I love the idea of creating shows. I spent a lot of time editing them myself. Um, it's almost a little bit of an extension as my, of my career as a musician. You know, I, I enjoyed making songs and I enjoy making podcasts even more. So, Dan, what would you consider to be some of your notable failures and what have they taught you? The thing about entrepreneurship is that you're failing quite a bit. In fact, most of the things that we do don't work out. Um, and uh, have you ever, I don't know how to, how to um, what the official term is, but there's this like a little uh, brain exercise where I think it's like the let's make a deal thing where there's three doors and there's something hidden behind one of the doors and you got to open a door. Are you familiar with this? So you open a door and then it's like, okay, it's not behind that door, but what about A or B? You have to make a new decision and... I think one of the one of my strengths as 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 a business person has always been that I'm willing to make decisions on incomplete information. Um, and when you do that, you're going to make wrong decisions all the time, but you get tons more information and then you make a new decision with more information. So you might make consecutive wrong decisions. Um, for example, when I was starting the Dynamite Circle, I mean, countless missteps in terms of I didn't know that I was creating Dynamite Circle. I first was creating this thing, then I created that thing, and then I did this thing, and like, and then that didn't work out for this reason. And I, we just kept opening doors and saying, okay, let's walk through this one. Okay, let's walk through this one. And so in some ways, like I, feel, I do feel like most of the things we do don't work out. Um, and the, the better you are at accepting that, the better you, of an entrepreneur you're going to be. That seems to be the case to me. Um, so when I think of like, you know, I don't have the, the great colossal failure story because I just feel like a, a daily failure. You know, it would be a failure not to do things that had enough risk based, baked in them where you just knew what was going to happen. You know, that's if you just know what's going to happen, everybody knows what's going to happen. You're probably not being an entrepreneur. You're probably you're probably re receiving a paycheck from somebody. So. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it. I think. The failure would be if I stopped that routine and rhythm and, and got out of that. But uh, we have no problem screwing up. We're constantly making mistakes. So uh, I think it's part of the thing about, you know, if you listen to our podcast, I'm sure, sure that most of the ideas you've heard us talk about on there just have not happened. And that we all got hung up for one reason or another, something that we didn't see, um, that it took us walking through that door in order to see it and say, oh, you know what? That's the reason we shouldn't do that. And then on to the next thing, but with more information. What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, so this is a terrifying question. I think uh, the uh, answer to that has to be, I don't care. Um, 
so or the other way to approach it would be to say, I hope that any legacy that I might have would come through in the work and wouldn't be something focused on me. So, you know, if I were to get into an accident in the next few weeks, I would really love for Dynamite Circle to um, and I think this would happen. I think it could carry on without me. I think that that would be a cool little mini legacy um, for entrepreneurs in that group to do great things because of the connections that they've made. Or maybe they, even for a few years, they would continue to meet up um, and remember that, you know, part of what brought them together was that initial networking group. Um, so I think, you know, I don't think about stuff like that too, too much. Um, I don't, I think part of what creates anxiety for people and lack of congruency is thinking too much about the types of outcomes they're trying to achieve and not enough about the types of principles they're trying to embody. So when we're, when we're choosing the types of businesses we want to start, I think it's really important to do things on a day-to-day -day basis that are in line with your, your passions and those things that you think are right in the world, and those things that you're most attracted to. And that's where you're going to get your congruency and your integrity and your authenticity. Um, and so I think those things are worth focusing on rather than, um, you know, when you say, like, I've got to win this election, then that's when you start to do things outside of, of your moral code. And, and so that's, I think part of the reason we try to stay away from that kind of thing and ask ourselves instead, like, what's exciting to us? What are the kinds of things we want to participate in? Okay, let's go in there. We're going to make a bunch of mistakes, but that's fine. We'll see what happens. Hopefully we can provide some value to this marketplace. Not we've got to win the election or I've got to win the football game or I've got to be the number one guy that does X because then you're going to start to make compromises. And uh, I don't, you know, it, I don't feel like we're in a position to, to make those kinds of compromises right now. It doesn't make sense for us. We're too wealthy in terms of like our, the knowledge that we have and, you know, we make a living. So we don't need to sell ourselves out. And in, in our industry, and especially in internet marketing and coaching stuff, people sell themselves out all the time. They, you know, they sell their integrity out all the time because they need to make a buck or they want to have a launch or, or all that. And, you know, with Ian and I, with doing this kind of entrepreneurship stuff, we always thought, you know what? We're putting food on the table. So don't sell yourself out. You know, I understand that if you don't have food for 10 days, maybe you're going to go, you know, sneak into the local butchers. <laughs> but, you know, as long as you can, you can, you have enough abundance and wealth that you can stay away from that, which we've managed to do, you know, don't sell out your integrity. And, and that's what I mean by that. Like, you know, we feel like that's more important than making a few extra dollars. So I think we've always been on the same page about that, me and my business partner. What current project in your world are you most excited about? Well, I, right now, it's I can't wait to go back to Bangkok. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, we, we, we've been having these meetups every six months, which you know about. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I had a really good time in Bangkok. I mean, well... Would you mind if I asked you what your experience was like? Because I don't, I don't know if we had a post mortem on it, but yeah, how did it? How did it? What was your sort of sense about it? No, you and I didn't really get a chance to do a post mortem on it. I, I thought it was fantastic. 
a bunch of people were really surprised and thought I was maybe a little bit crazy flying all the way from the United States to, to Bangkok, essentially just for a weekend to go hang out with these people. But I had had this experience of I had all of these virtual relationships. You know, I had been connected to you for several years and we had never met in person. And that was the case with many of these people. I, I knew these names. I'd interacted with these people in various forms online. But there's something about sitting down and having a beer or sharing a meal or shooting the breeze over a cup of coffee that is completely different. And as wonderful as the Internet is for forging these kinds of relationships, you just can't replace that face to face. And to me, that's what that was all about. You know, the talks were great, met all kinds of great people, absorbed a bunch of great knowledge. But the real great piece was sitting down and having a beer with these people, putting the faces to the names and developing relationships in a completely different kind of way. It's interesting you were mentioning, I, I love these connections of um, people who have a lot of skin in the game. You know, it, it certainly wasn't an arbitrary decision and um, for you to come there. It was, you know, years and years of hard work and focus and dedication. And, you know, it's funny because you mentioned that you and Jimmy worked together uh, helping each other out on the phone occasionally. And, and I was just talking to Jimmy last night uh, in this room. And, um, you know, I, I think the, the the inspiring thing for me and what I'm so excited about is the opportunity to hang out with other people that are, are deeply interested in things that I'm interested in. And, um, you know, that didn't, I guess for me, that's a very novel idea. Um, you know, maybe back in the day, I had a group of friends that we all like the same kind of books or something. But this is a group of people that, have really sacrificed a lot and accomplished a lot um, by spending years kind of focused on the same sorts of things. So I think that's part of the reason I'm excited to go back to Bangkok and to try to make the event more and more of the same, but also improve it quite a bit. Um, just because those friendships really stick and they're, they're, they last. So I think that that's, um, you know, I sort of felt really alone in this journey for the first few years and it was always a struggle like people you know always kind of like what is it that you do I, why are you doing that what about your 401k all this kind of stuff and it's like that's fun to answer it maybe at the occasional thanksgiving day party but man it really sucks to live like that when everybody just thinks you're a weirdo and uh and now what we're seeing with the event like bangkok is for me it was like a complete 180 it's not only um you know aren't these people like Ask, thinking I'm a weirdo, but they're actually complete weirdos just like me. <laughs> and uh, this is this radical turn of events. And, um, you know, you ask wh why I'm in Vietnam as part of the reason is to continue to see those people and uh, to see what they're doing. And to, I mean, it's pretty exciting for me that middle class people um, can just build these businesses and then live these extraordinary lives. lives. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the backdrop for me is like, I never was like on the edge of society or pedigree or, or knowledge or, you know, Google would never hire me and, uh, investors certainly a few years ago would never give a guy like me money to go build software or anything like that. So to, to have, to still say all that and then to have the opportunity to live anywhere you want and to make a good living is, is absolute magic. It's like magic in a bottle to me. And I, no one can take that away from me. Like that's, I've got friends who look down their nose at me, and nice people, but maybe they think, you know, you should work for an NGO or you should try to go to a good school or you should, and I'm just holding on to that. There's no way you're taking that away from me. You can't tell me that this isn't amazing. And I think the cool thing about those events is that people seem to agree. 
Um, they love that idea where, you know, when you told me that you're starting a new business, I got like a little bit of the uh, sort of the goose pimples because I get excited. It's like, oh my gosh, you're going to be able to total, your life is going to be totally different a few weeks from now. And a lot of the things that end up happening for you and for me are going to be based on our values and based on the things that are important to us. And, and that to me is pretty, is pretty insane. Um, and, and I guess part of it is I mean, some people roll their eyes and say, you know, big deal. And for me, you know, to loop it back to the beginning of the conversation, it wasn't so long ago that I had some manager pull me in the office and say, could you stop being so weird? Um, and I wasn't, you know, nothing in my life felt like it was moving forward. And I felt like I had no power to change things. And so now when we can have a casual conversation on different sides of the planet and maybe, oh, you know, I'll get on an airplane to come see you. And maybe um, I'm just going to do something completely new next week. It's like that to me is that's the main event. So I'm very excited to to, to continue to, to, to be there for that. Well, I've definitely got those dates blocked off on my calendar and I'm planning to return to Bangkok and in fact, bring my girlfriend this time. So I'm very excited about that. Something about jumping into that pool of energy with some amazing people doing amazing things and, and those shared values and just that creative force that you can feel by walking in the room and interact with these people is fantastic. It, it, it has, this, it does have a, an impact that this book, Anti-Fragile, has been giving me a lot of terms to talk about things. But, you know, when when guys like us tell our stories, we, we create these neat and simple narratives. But, of course, there's all this chaos and uncertainty underneath the surface, you know. There's all this randomness. Um, and it's kind of like we are these energized little little pinballs. And you put us in a room and you just bounce up against each other and stuff comes from it, you know. Like um, I'm starting a new business, too, with Jesse, who is a guy that – came to Bangkok and who I spent a lot of time with and I started to trust him and I felt like I really respect him. I like what he's doing. And then, you know, one thing leads to another and all of a sudden, you know, Hey man, do you think we should, you know, what do you think of this idea? And he's like, that's a great idea. You know, would you want to work on it together? You know, it's like these things, you can't really plan them out. Sometimes it, it just happens because you put yourself in the right room or you put yourself on the right path. And uh, so far, it's been, you know, this, these, in particular, that uh, the, the path of this Dynamite Circle group has been exciting. You know, I didn't plan that either. Uh, it's just this kind of random movement of people that all of us people are sitting around saying, you know, these, this, these types of businesses are really important to us. You know, we should do more to connect with each other. And that's where that came from. So, it's, it's, again, it's just sort of harnessing this random energy. And, again, like, it comes back to this idea of, like, you know, Maybe it's it's not as effective to focus on the, the particular outcomes you want, but instead the kinds of um, principles that you want to be engaged in on a daily basis. And that's one of the things I loved about the Bangkok event is that I, I know for for sure that people there are looking to help each other with no gain. And there is that kind of abundance attitude where people are just there to help each other all the time. Um you know, Jimmy is a, a great example of somebody who is constantly going around just helping people because it, he likes that. And I, I love that, like that, this idea that there's this social movement of entrepreneurs, these money-grubbing, greedy people. Instead, it's this group of people that are all trying to help each other. It's pretty cool. So, Dan, is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with regarding authenticity? I think that the hardest thing um, for people and, and 
and for myself is that, you know, the path that is going to be your authentic path doesn't exist in the universe. There isn't a guidebook to being your authentic self. It's, it's almost like a, a logical impossibility. Someone else can't write that book that tells you what to do. And so in order to have that congruency and to be involved in the types of principles that you want to be involved in every day, you are going to have to set your own stage and write your own script and throw your own party. And you're going to have to stand on a ledge and say, this is a really sweet ledge because it's mine and it's the one that I want to be on. And I don't really care if anybody else agrees. And I think that to me is being congruent. That is authenticity. And, and that's what I'm, I guess, trying to embody. And at the beginning, when I got started, it was, it's very difficult. You always want to look to say, oh, well, then they did it. So it's okay that I can do it too. And, uh, or the, here's the guide, you know, and the truth is, is that it's, it's very difficult to create from nothing, the path of what you should do, you know, whether it's in your business or your personal life, but that's precisely the most rewarding way to do it. So, um, if you feel, I guess, so the closing thought is if you feel terrified by that prospect, it's pretty normal, I think. And, uh, but I do think that that's where the action is. And that's where if you do have some excess energy or passion or belief that you can do something different, like that's the, that's the area to focus it on is that idea of, all right, I see what's going on around me. What is the script that I'm going to write? I'm not going to say, yes, I'm going to go to dentistry school because in three years uh, this happens. And those things are myths. Those things are false narratives. It's not necessarily true that if you go to dentistry school, you're going to become a dentist. Think about how absurd that prospect is, yet, yet we all parrot it. We all believe it. Um, it's the same. It's a, so it's the same idea of like, can you write a similar kind of confident sounding script for yourself? Of course, it's not going to work out the way you planned it. But could you write it so clearly such that it could guide you to act in your own authentic way and then figure out what the next steps are going to be? So I know that's kind of an airy-fairy answer. But uh, for me, it was the most challenging thing was doing my own thing that didn't have precedent. And your authentic self in the world won't have precedent. So at some point, you're going to have to sort of stand out on that ledge and do your own thing. How can listeners engage with you, Dan? Dan at tropicalmba.com is the best way to reach me. Dan Andrews, thank you very much for spending this time with us and sharing your stories. Andy, thanks for doing a podcast. Um, you know, this, uh, the idea of social media, um, it's turned into this uh, term. It's almost like a strategy. You have your marketing team and you have your social media team. But when I think of social media, I think of people that I respect and like and have a unique perspective and a, a singularity like their 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 own unique person they all of a sudden become publishing houses and that's what you're doing with this podcast and that's why i think this is you know an, an incredible time to be alive because people like us can can have our own little publishing houses and that to me is social media and uh so anyway i'm excited that sh that you're doing it with this podcast thank you for the uh, opportunity it's it's awesome and again i'm you're not blowing smoke, man. I really do think that this social media thing is amazing. I'm like, it's. I would so much rather, at this point, I would so much rather listen to your podcast than Howard Stern's podcast. You know what I mean? Like that is so exciting, that there's, 
you know, you get to listen to media sources that are closer to what you're actually doing. Um, I still think there's like just so much room for, for it to be done. So I think it's pretty cool. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Dan Andrews. You can find Dan on the web at tropicalmba.com. And do check out the Lifestyle Business Podcast with Dan and Ian. I've been listening to the LBP since the beginning. It's very entertaining and full of both actionable business advice and inspiration. I'll link to both of those on the episode page. Since this is episode number seven, you can access the webpage for this episode by going to acongruentlife.net slash seven in your web browser. Thanks again for being here and listening to A Congruent Life. Please take a quick minute to leave a positive review on the iTunes store, which is linked from our homepage at acongruentlife.net, and subscribe to our community list on the right sidebar of that page. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. See you next time.